for us as a church family to, to hear from the Lord and to, to read his word together. Um, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time doing that. Um, kiddos in the room, let me ask you this. Anyone ever been skipping rocks before? Anybody like skipping rocks? Is it hard? No. You're like, no, I got this. A couple of you think it's hard. Cool. Um, over a few times over the past year, I've, I've tried to teach my kids how to skip rocks. Any adults in there ever tried to teach people how to skip rocks? It's strangely difficult, right? Like it's the, like the angle, and it's, it's kind of like a, you got to feel it to know it, how to do it sort of thing. Like it's very, very difficult. And, and it's just, you got to get the feel. But when it happens, especially when you're, when you're teaching someone and they get it for the first time, like it's so cool to see the glee and the joy on someone's face and something as simple as skipping a rock. Yeah, that experience? It's a very cool experience. Um, more often than not, what happens to the rock than skipping? Plunk, right? Just, just plop right in the middle. But, but I have a secret for you. Sometimes I would do that on purpose. <laughs> I know, while I was supposed to be trying to teach my kids to skip the rock. Because um, for some reason, the, the beauty of the ripples that a plunk kind of rock creates is, is just incredibly peaceful to me. And it's, in, it's amazing to see how this, you know, even if it's a small rock, like the, the, the amount of impact that, that it has it just, just goes and goes and goes and goes. So sometimes instead of seeing glee and joy on my kids' faces, I was selfish. And like that brought me a lot of glee enjoy when I just chunk, and especially the big rocks, oh, those are real fun. So, um, If you're new or if you're visiting with us, uh, Salt and Light is considering this biblical theme of exile this winter. Uh, it's not a, a theme that we think about very often necessarily, but for, for most of history, if you look back all the way from whenever the Garden of Eden happened, for most of history, God's people have lived in a land that is not their own. God's people have lived in a land they didn't fully belong in. And that's not just like a Bible truth. That's a you and me truth as well. Uh, like if you feel very satisfied with everything going on around us in this life, in this country or another country, like if you feel like everything's great, there's something really broken about that. Like there's things that are just off and things that are not right. And so we also live in a land that we don't fully belong in. And so today's kind of the halfway point in this series of conversations that we started in January or end at Easter. Uh, and so we want to do something a little bit different today. Uh, we want to zoom out from like the specific biblical examples that we've been seeing and consider a broader reality that is true of this theme of exile. And here's why I want to do this today. There's a missing puzzle piece in this whole conversation about exile that we have to address before we get to move on in the series of conversations. Because if we, miss, if we miss this piece, if we don't get this reality today, um, then we're not going to get the point of this whole exile imagery. So here's what I want to do today. I want to play a little bit of catch up um, and, and then introduce this missing puzzle piece in this exile theme. And then you actually are going to do some work today. And some of y'all hate it when I make you do this, and some of you love it, but most of you hate it. Um, so if it makes you nervous, it's not going to be that bad. Maybe. I mean, we'll see. Billy, pray for us. So, Father, would you be with us and draw us deeper into this theme? And would you help us to understand who we are and why we don't fit, even in a place that feels like home for many of us? And would you guide us and lead us into more of your spirit, more need for you? Would you give us your wisdom, even as we hear from you through each other today? It's in your son's name. Amen. 
All right, here, here's a little bit of catch up. And again, I know some of you haven't been here, so it's a good day to, to play catch up with you. Uh, those of you who have been here, where did the theme of exile start in the Bible? Anyone know? Genesis, all the way back in Genesis 3, God created Adam and Eve for this perfect home. God created Adam and Eve for this perfect relationship with him and with each other and even like their, their self-satisfaction in the good way with themselves. God created them for good relationship with themselves. And God created them for a good relationship with the world around them. Perfect home, perfect relationships, lasted for a page and a half of your Bible or one heavy swipe and then sin enters the world and brokenness reigns and Adam and Eve were barred from their home and from those relationships. And that's the first picture we get of exile. So that's the picture that carries through the rest of life. Someone living in a different land. Someone being relegated to, to a different home, but always put there by some higher authority. Always put there by some higher authority. Who is it that kicked God? Nope, I just gave the answer. Who is it that kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden? They didn't choose to leave. God set them outside, but he did so for a purpose. Because in Genesis 1, even as God created the first woman and the first man, Adam and Eve had a role to play in Eden, and that role continued in the foreign land that they were sent to. Their role was to bear God's image. Their goal was to be God's witnesses and to display and declare better good news so that God's image would fill the earth. They were there to display and declare God's image to a sinful and broken world. So that, that's how we started our conversations back in January. And then we've kind of just been spot checking our way through the Old Testament uh, through the Hebrew scriptures for the last month and seeing how many of God's people were literal exiles. But all of them were sent to different places with that same mission to bear God's image, to be his witnesses, to display and declare better good news. Sometimes they did that well. Very often they did not. Does that sound familiar? Adam and Eve's son Cain uh, was banished from his homeland because of his sin. Noah and his family were displaced by God's discipline for the entire world's Sin. Abraham and Sarah, or Abram and Sarai at the time, were called by God to a foreign land. Genesis 12 says they were blessed to be a blessing amidst a wicked and godless people. And we skipped right over Joseph, but as it turns out, he was exiled to Egypt so that through him God would save humanity, including Israel, his own people, but also including the wicked and godless people who would one day enslave God's people in Egypt. And we saw in Moses that God calls us to rest in him and to, to, to define ourselves by our true identity and pursue holiness even in a world that is hard and difficult, in a world that tries to define us by some other identity, in a world that tries to invite us to live by other values. That's what we saw in Moses. And then we saw King David a few weeks ago. And we learned from David that, that we can worship even in hard situations. Is that a hard truth for anyone? We can, we can worship and trust God even in hard situations. We can even do that in the midst of enemies. It's a mind-blowing reality to me that most of the Psalms, which is like a big song book in the Bible, most of the Psalms, many of the Psalms, were written in times of suffering, not in times of comfort. 
in times of, of being on the run, not in times of receiving. And we think of worship songs today and this kind of stuff. It's just a, it's just a, different, a different view. We can worship in times of plenty and in times of little, in times of comfort and in times of fear. Because praise is a form of worship and so is lament and so is grief. We can bring them both to God. And then last week we considered how God's people engaged in the midst of a non-Christian, I'll say, non-God's people government. Uh, we looked at Dave, uh, Daniel and his friends and saw how they lived well, how they lived as witnesses to a better God and a better king. And, and, and Daniel and his friends are some of the most literal exiles in the Bible. They were removed from their homeland, and they lived under a godless king in a pagan land, and, and yet they continued to play the role that God has for all of his people. In that foreign land, they bore God's image. They were God's witnesses. They displayed and declared better goodness. So, so even in literal exile in Babylon, God's people were blessed to be a blessing. Even in literal exile, they sought the welfare of, of their captors. And that's just worth sitting with for a little while, that they sought the, the goodness of the very folks who ripped them out of their own lands. And they pursued holiness, and they spoke God's truth, and they displayed the image of a better God in the midst of a foreign kingdom, all the while remembering and yearning for a return to their true home, to the promised land. That's a little bit of where we've been. There's other exiles that we've skipped over. Ruth followed her mother-in-law from, from a foreign country of Moab into the country of God's people. Esther, like Daniel, was, was within a pagan king's court. Like the, the reality of literal exile is so prominent in the Old Testament and the Hebrew Scriptures. So church, that's, that's where we've been. That's where we've been talking about. When we left off last week, God's people were still exiled in, in Babylon. Um, they, they knew they were going to be there. It was a kind of suspenseful moment where we left off. They didn't see a way home. And so today we're going to pick up the story. And guess what? Guess where they get to go? They get to go home. They get to go back to Jerusalem. They get to go back to Israel. And yet, the story doesn't have a happy ending. It's not what they thought and not what they hoped for. Good? So that's where we are in the whole story of God seeing a bunch of exiles. Uh, here's the reality that, that, that will help make this exile imagery make a little bit more sense for us today. Uh, in the same chapter, we referenced this chapter last week, the prophet Jeremiah was writing to God's people in exile. Um, and in the same chapter where God charges Israel to seek the welfare of the people who took them into exile, he also introduced a couple more factors that are really important for us to, to realize. So this isn't the text that, that Gabriel read. We'll get there in a minute. But this is Jeremiah 29. The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, says to the exiles whom what? I have said, again, exile starts with, with some authority moving you out of your comfort zone. So God is claiming to have sent his people from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, be involved in the commerce and the economy there, and take wives and have sons and daughters, and don't pause your lives is what he's saying, and take wives to your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there. Again, back to the Genesis 1, what was Adam and Eve's first charge? Multiply, fill the earth with my image. So God's saying, don't stop. Don't stop doing the, the, the thing that I created humans for. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare 
of the city where I've sent you into exile. Again, I've sent you. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So again, God is claiming to be the one who sends his people into exile, and God is restating the purpose and mission that he's had for all of his people through all of history, okay? So, so that's what we've just said. In the same chapter, though, look at the bottom part of this, verse 11. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Anyone ever heard that verse before? Like, that's one of the ones that we love as followers of Jesus, and we'll stick it on mugs and, and, and crochet it on walls and this kind of stuff, and yeah, it's a real good, feel-good verse. And at the same time, it can get downplayed because it is, it is a really good news. Like, it's a really good promise. Like, God is going to keep his promises. But we always skip the verse before it, in which God tells us when he is going to bring them into the future and hope. So how long is God going to leave his people in exile? When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I'll visit you, and I'll fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. So, so it's really good news that God has a plan. He's going to give us hope. It feels like less good news that God's like, it's going to be 70 years from now, though. Does it feel like less good news to anyone? Um, and, and here's what happened to, to, to Ashley's question, her point. Um, God's people were in exile in Babylon from either, depending on dates, 608 to 538 B.C., because time went backwards back then, or from 586 to 516, give or take. Anyone do the quick math? Can you say that again? 608 to 538 or 586 to 516. How many years? 70. Either way, it's right around 70 years. Y'all, even in hard promises that God gives, God still keeps his promises. We don't love to think about the hard ones, but he does. So good news, God has a hope and future. Less good news, it's going to be 70 years. Here's even less good news. Anyone want to take a stab at what the life expectancy was at the time? 45 to 55 years. Which means that the vast majority of the first generation, not everybody, there's, again, exceptions to every rule. God preserves, God gives life. But the vast majority of the folks who were sent into exile were probably not going to be the same folks to return from exile. Um, it would be the next generation, largely, not exclusively, but largely it's the next generation. And, and there's something to pause on that for us. Like it was the job of the first generation to teach faith and to teach values and to teach hope and to teach truth in a land that was very different from the land that they had grown up in. And so it's not hard, I don't think, to extrapolate today. It's the job of people whose hope is in God and whose faith is in God, even in hard times, to teach that faith and to teach that hope and to teach that same truth to people who, who are not, whose hope is not in God. Like, that's part of our role as well. So there's good news, less good news. They're there for 70 years. Less good news would be a lot of the next generation. Here's... Here's maybe the worst news in this pattern, though. The state of God's promised land, the state of Jerusalem, when after 70 years of longing and a generation passing, the state of their homeland when they got there, anyone know what that state was? It was utterly destroyed. It was broken. The temple, the heart of not just worship, but really the heart of their whole society and worldview had been stripped and burned and it was broken and destroyed their homes were gone 
all their years of plots of land, like they were, they were, it was decimated. They were essentially starting over. They were essentially building from nothing. And this is the point that I need us to, to dwell on today. This is the missing puzzle piece. Even in their physical home, let's see if it'll pull up. This is like the crux of the whole thing. Even in their physical home, God's people were not fully in their spiritual home. Does that make sense? Like this place that they put their home, this place, is, this place that is supposed to feel comfortable and it didn't. This place that was supposed to give them life, they entered in and saw death instead. Even in their physical home, God's people were not fully in their spiritual home. And y'all, this is huge for us today. So many of the, exi- of the examples of exile that we've seen in the Old Testament, like there are literally people who are displaced. Some people are literally displaced today, whether because they're refugees or missionaries or sent somewhere for a different job or this kind of stuff. But many of God's people have never been sent away from our literal homes, right? Especially driven out because of our faith. Like that's the majority of folks in our room. We've never been forced out of something because of our faith. In fact, for a lot of us, it doesn't even feel like we're in a foreign land. That's true? Like, we get the culture around us. We get the values. We got the driver's license and know the laws. And this, like, it just, we just, lit. this is the water we swim in. And that's why this theme of exile feels really hard, because we don't feel like we're displaced. Our values and the life we live and the culture just feels so familiar. It's what we grew up in. It's what we see around us. And this is why we need to remember this truth. Like Israel, when they returned to the land that they were supposed to be their own, even though we live in our physical homeland, many of us, we are not fully living in our spiritual. And so we got to see exile in the Bible almost like a ripple effect of a rock being thrown into a lake. Like the literal exiles in the middle speak to this broader sense of exile that we see through the, through the whole Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures. And that speaks to a still broader sense of exile, exile that's been true since Genesis 1, or Genesis 3, excuse me, and it will be true for, for all of God's people until Jesus comes back. Okay, so, so here's, here's what I mean. At the time of the prophets, okay, at the time of Daniel and Jeremiah, the, the stuff we've just been dwelling on for the last couple of weeks, um, God's people are in literal exile in another kingdom, okay? And yet, that literal exile speaks to a broader sense of exile because even God's Old Testament people never fully lived into the promised land that God promised them. Does that make sense? This may be, this may be a, little bit, a little bit confusing for us because God's people did go to this plot of land that he promised them, but even when they were there, like, they didn't have perfect relationships, they didn't fully obey God. Like the land wasn't flowing with milk and honey as, as much as God had indicated. Death still reigned and disobedience still reigned. And so the, not the literal, but the, the imagery of the promised land, they, they never got to live there because of sin and brokenness, both they did and sin and brokenness done to them. And yet that also speaks to a broader reality that is true for all of us. Because does death and brokenness still reign today? Yeah, are we, are we still in a broken relationship with God and each other and ourselves and the world today? Yeah, we're, 
the physical, literal manifestation of exile that we see in the book of Daniel and Jeremiah, that kind of stuff, speaks to something bigger that's true of the whole Old Testament, and it speaks to something bigger that is true of all of us. That's true of all of us. And the return from exile does the same thing. While they were in Babylon, while they were in exile, God's people longed to go home to Jerusalem. But when they got there, it was broken, it was scorched, it wasn't their full home. Similarly, let's do the other two together. In the broader story of God's people trying to find their homeland, I'll make sure I say this right. All of God's people longed for a return to this perfect Eden-like world, fully restored in their relationship with God, and then they would be in the promised land. I think that's a little bit of Daniel's uh, prophecy is going, hey, literally, it's going to be 70 years. Spiritually, though, 70 times 7 times 7 times, like the, 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 the reality of being displaced on less of a literal level, but on this concentric circle, on the ripple effect kind of level, is, is a lot longer. It, it's really for all of history. In the Old Testament, God's people longed to go to the promised land, to the kingdom of God, but, but when they got there, it was broken, and it wasn't fully home. And then on the broader level, all of God's people. Like since Eden, we've been longing to get back. We've been longing to get back to, for the, to the perfect relationships we have with each other. Anyone feel like broken relationships are true and amongst people? Absolutely. The broken relationship we have with ourselves, self-doubt, insecurity, all this kind of stuff, sometimes even more physiological things broken relationship with the world like this is this is the 70 times seven years that we live in we want to go home you want to go home you want to rest you want to get back to the things we read in the scripture and be like man we can't even fathom how good that is only when we get back to is this not working there we go only when we get back to our eternal home which is something like eden Submit something better than Eden. And only when we get back relationally to God will we truly be whole. And until then, it feels like we're exiles at this place we call home. So we're exiles at home when we forget that we have a truer home. Is that fair? I know it's confusing. That's why ripples are the best I could come up with. Someone else said a little like stacking dolls. You know, so if that's better for you, then great. There's literal, literal exile, and then there's like medium exile and big exile. We live in exile at home. That church is the missing piece of the puzzle for us. This home, quote unquote home, temporary home, it feels familiar. It's so easy for us to get swept into this culture and its beliefs and its values and all this kind of stuff. God's New Testament people. And us today, those of us living between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, we are all exiles at home. And yet, why do we live here? To bear God's image, to be God's witnesses, and to display and declare better good news in a place that even feels comfortable to us. And so that's Peter's imagery in the verses that Gabe read a little bit ago. That's the imagery that Peter picks up on when he writes to the New Testament church. He says, Peter, I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect, what? 
exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, uh, Cappadocia, Asia, and Asia and Bithynia. And then later in the next chapter, he writes to them and calls them sojourners and exiles. Okay, who, who is he writing to? Some people, he says, dispersion. So some people were displaced into different places. Um, but even that, like first century world didn't move around a ton, this kind of stuff. So a lot of the people who are going to be receiving Peter's letters are going to be doing so in the same cities that they grew up. Like the same cities they lived in before they followed Jesus. So he's writing to people who are newly Christian, but who live in the same place, live amongst the same people that lived in before they were Christian people. What changed? It wasn't their, their literal home. It was their spiritual home. It was their faith. It was their trust. It was their relationship with Jesus. So why don't they fully belong? Why do they feel like sojourners and exiles? Though their life looked the same, and though they had a lot of the same relationships, their worldview, their hope, their king, those are the things that were utterly different. Does that make sense? And I think I would pause and ask, is that true of you? What does, does your worldview and life and king and allegiance look different as you follow Jesus in a similar or same place you grew up in as it did, as your life and worldview and stuff looked like before you followed Jesus? Or has, has his impact actually made that big of a change to you if you call yourself a Christian? For those of you who don't call yourself a Christian, as you look at the Christians around you, does their life look exactly like the lives of other non, non-followers of Jesus? Or do you actually see some sort of change? Like that's, that's the question of living in exile at home. So who are we? What are we called to do as we're exiled at home? You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. Priests represented God to the world around them. You're a holy nation, not, no longer a physical plot of land, but a spiritual nation, a people for God's possessions. That's who we are. What do we do? Proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Y'all, we proclaim the excellencies of a lot of things in people. We proclaim the glories and give allegiance to a lot of things. Do we proclaim the excellencies of God? And every time I read this next verse, I cheer up. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. That's who. Once you had not received mercy, but praise God, y'all, we've received mercy. So skipping a little bit, what do we do? We keep our conduct among the non-believing people, not God's people, honorable, so that when they speak against us as evildoers, say, man, their life looks weird, their values are off, they don't get the world around us, they can still see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's your role. That's my role. That's, that's almost exactly the same thing that God calls Adam and Eve to do. And his Old Testament people who were put into literal exile. And so even though we're not in literal exile, God's still the one who brings us from death to life. God's still the one who gives us his mercy when we were unable to receive mercy. He still brings us from darkness to light. God still sends you wherever you are, even if you're in your hometown, to display better good news and to declare a better king and better kingdom. We have a better identity. We, have, we, we still pursue 
holiness and obey God. And as we do, we're inviting people to come back to their true spiritual home. That's our role as we live in exile. The same things that were true of Israel that we've been looking at this whole month are still true in spiritual exile. The same things that would be true if we were displaced from our physical home are true as if we're displaced from our spiritual home. And so many of us, it can feel like we're at home, but none of us are truly at home. You believe that? Many of us feel like we're at home, but we're not. We're not. And that's some of what we'll see next week as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. That's, that's what we see also in the rest of First Peter. And so here's what I want to invite us to do. We're just going to take five minutes to do this. I would love for you to take this truth and put it into some of your literal daily reality. See, First Peter, if you've never read it, it's a great book. Book of Contrasts. It's my favorite New Testament book. I don't know if I'm allowed to have a favorite New Testament book, but I think it's First Peter. Um, Peter takes all these areas, after he says, here's who you are, in chapter 2, we just read, he takes all these areas of life and then says, here's how culture views and engages these areas, but then here's how God's exiles view and engage these areas. And so things like, how do you engage with government and rulers? Uh, how do you relate as bosses and employers? We're not going to get into this today. He uses the word slaves. is a little bit different than... Uh, U.S. imagery for slave, but slaves and masters. Uh, it was more, more, not exactly, but more of a employer-employee relationship. So there's some relationship there. First uh, Peter three. What's the purpose of in relationships in marriage? Does the world view marriage differently than the Bible views marriage? Yeah, it turns out it does. Uh, responding to suffering, conduct in everyday life. What does engaging with power and leadership look like? All right, so I'm confident that you've plumbed every bit of depth in this topic, and there's nothing more to discuss. Here's why we do this sometimes, just to, just to tell you why we do this sometimes. Um, it can be really easy to come into this space and to hear someone talk about this kind of stuff, and then it can be really hard sometimes to go and leave and go, okay, what does this mean for, for normal life? Um, and, and uh, we're, we're not going to take time to kind of share what did everybody see kind of stuff because today's not one of our days of having lunch together. We'll be here through dinner if we try to ask. But, but even if taking one of these kind of areas helps you go like, oh, there is a common way that people interact around this. And then there's God's word that applies literally to that. Um, then it can just start to, to get the, the creativity flowing or start to get the dependence or start to get the countercultural uh, picture of what God offers as we are living in this exile at home. Um, so you can screenshot this, or we'll send it out in the email this week. But, but these are just some areas of life, right? Like this, these are common areas of life. Not everybody experiences all of them, but many people experience many of them. But this it leads to kind of the big question for this. We're trying to give you a big question memory verse throughout this series. Um, through the week. But this is, this is kind of a big question for this week, flowing out of what you just did for any topic and worldview and situation and issue and stance and response and related. For all the different things that we face, what is our culture's common view of that thing or person or relationship or situation? And then how does God offer a better view through Jesus? And in what ways is that good news as we live in exile? This is part of why we're having these conversations. It's literally part of why God, through Peter, wrote his letter to all those churches, because they were living in a land that wasn't their own, and their mission was the same as Adam and Eve's and Noah's and ours, to bear God's image, to be God's witnesses, to display and declare a better truth.
but, but here's what I want to end on. Um, what was it that makes the difference in all of those situations? What was it that makes the, makes the difference in the way we relate to rulers and bosses and marriages and this kind of, what's, what's the difference? The difference is Jesus. Yeah, good job. Always a safe answer. Yeah. Um, like Jesus makes the difference, right? And, and even playing those out, like as we, as we think about governors and kings, like Jesus was the best king. Um, as we think about bosses and employees, like Jesus is the best boss. Jesus suffered for us. Like he's the motive and the source of all holiness. He's the true power, the truest power that enables us to be humble before him. And so we don't end with Jesus just because, like, oh, i got to tag it on because we're at church. No, we end with Jesus because that's our true home. Like, that's what makes the difference. That spiritual home gives us hope in this weird, strange, pseudo-home that we live in. And so I want to close with that, and I want to close with this reality. One, one more thing back to the circles. Uh, in every circle of exile, there was a king who allowed God's people to return. Do you know this? Um, our, our Romanian friends are preaching through uh, Ezra and Nehemiah when God's people came home. So they can tell me if I'm wrong in this. But first verses of Ezra, Cyrus, the king of Persia. Cyrus was not a follower of Jesus. Well, he was not one of God's people. It was hard to follow Jesus. Jesus hadn't come yet. Um, he was not one of God's people. He was a pagan king, a foreign king. But in part because of the faithful influence of Daniel and his friends and others in their exile. And in part, large part because the Spirit of God softened his own heart. Cyrus, the king of Persia, said, The Lord, the God of heaven, who he probably didn't fully believe in ever, just for the record. But this pagan king has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem which was in Judah. And you know what you know what pagan King Cyrus did? He sent all the exiles home. There's a king who had to release them from their exile. And again, when they got home, it was not what they expected. In the, in the middle circle, the, the middle story, it's God who gave Israel this land. And again, it's not the same nation of Israel that started in 1949, da, da, da. And I'll talk about that today. But, but like God promised them this place that would be their own, this kingdom. God was the king who led them out of Egypt and led them back out of exile and led them to this place. But guess what? When they got there, it wasn't what they expected or intended. And it's also King Jesus who alone came to be exiled on this earth to live with us. And while he was here, he also bore God's image and he witnessed God's truth and he showed us a better king and a better hope. And then in his death and resurrection... He opened up the door for you to go home to, to your death to self, to your death to this pseudo home that we live in, and to your true and eternal life. You get to go home because of Jesus. Is that good news? So Jesus was in existence with God the Father and God the Spirit for all of eternity. Um, his is the true and righteous full throne, has been forever and ever, for eternity past and eternity future. And he chose to fulfill this mission, to leave his throne, to leave the perfection, to come to this earth, to be broken, to have sin done against him. He never sinned, but he had a lot of sin and brokenness done against him. And he would go to different people and say, here's how I'm good news to this situation. And this hope that you're yearning for, here's how I'm 
hope, and we've talked about this many times. I'm the satisfaction you're seeking. I'm the uh, I'm the joy for your joylessness. I'm the belonging for your loneliness and this kind of stuff. And he did that all while he was exiled from his perfect relationship with God the Father, unlike any other. And then he went to death. Uh, and the only way that the doors open for us to get back into something that we've been exiled from since the Garden of Eden um, is the trust and faith that Jesus wasn't just a good guy or a good teacher, um, but that he's our big brother who sacrificed himself for us and is also the only one who can have the right to and has the power to and the love and compassion to bring us home one day. Is that good news? So that's why we say this is a body broken for you. It's broken because he was in exile. This is blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins so that you too may go home.